Boom. All right, ladies and gentlemen, round two for today. Join us as we explore the dynamic world of tech innovation, remote work, and the strategies behind successful hiring and networking in the digital age. Let's get this one going. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real-life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Bros. All right, business bros. Today we're joined by a remarkable entrepreneur and tech visionary. He's here to share his insights into a world of tech innovation, remote work, and the art of hiring through social media. In this episode, we'll dive into his fascinating journey and being the young uh, youngest member of the Forbes Business Council to make history as a his, as the youngest speaker in the world's largest business forum, Synergy Global. So let's welcome to the show, Mr. Sardor Akhmedo. All right, dude. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Of course, dude. Uh, let's jump into this thing, man. The first question I always ask is pretty much the same question I ask everybody who's on the show. You're here to promote something, talk about something that you're up to, what you're doing uh, in in business. What is that for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's always uh, the one and only company I'm working on, which is uh, Jaffin. It's our um, software and mobile app development agency. So we specialize in building uh, mobile applications for our clients, right? So anywhere from startups to big enterprises that come to us and they want to build a mobile application, but they don't have the expertise or the know-how or the resources to build it in-house. So they come to us and um, either with an idea or with the ready product that they just need to launch on mobile, right? They might have a web version of it. And uh, we built the mobile application for them. So that's my main thing. Um, I'm a managing partner at this company. And this is what I could talk about. You know, we have uh, over 120 people um, across our company working for us uh, in different parts of the world. And we have over 80 projects alone that we did this year. And at the same time, we worked on 35 different projects uh, in parallel. So a lot of expertise in uh, development, um, although I'm not a developer myself. Uh, I'm more on the business side, so I can talk about that. Uh, yeah, anything else you want to discuss? I'm open for it. All right, let's do this, dude. Um, first of all, how old are you? Like, you got that whole youngest award. How young are we talking? Yeah, so all these uh, awards, I've received them, I think, like three or four years ago. So I'm currently still young. I'm 25. But, you know, when I was, you know, as the youngest uh, member of Forbes Council, I think I was 21 or 22, right? Um and currently I am 25. All right, man. I'm going to ask you this. Uh, so I, I think I told you I have a classroom full of high school seniors. Um, they're about to graduate, go out in the world, kind of figure out what life has to offer. At 21, 22 years old, being uh, uh, being recognized by, by different organizations like Forbes, that's a huge accomplishment. You must have been like the valedictorian, salutatorian at your school, like super top-notch grades, great in college. What was your educational background? I mean, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, so when it comes to school, I mean, 
starting with high school, right? That was actually when I first came to the U.S. Um, I came to the U.S. when I was 16. So I'm originally from Uzbekistan, right? I didn't grow up here, um, but I came here for my junior year in high school. I went to private boarding school in Massachusetts. But I wouldn't say I was the brightest kid, kid to be honest, right? So I, I did okay in school, but I didn't do like, you know, I didn't have like the highest grades or I wasn't the most popular kid per se. Uh, I was pretty active. I did sports. I did swimming. I did really well in that. I did rowing. I did cross country. Uh, but my main spiel was was swimming because um, I grew up swimming. I grew up, uh, you know, competing in, in um, international competitions um, for Uzbekistan, you know, and that was my main thing, but I wasn't like uh, the most academically like brightest kid, so to say. Uh, but what I did, my strategy has always been like, you know, I always chose my specialty, right? So I was always really good at math and English, right? So composition, writing, or just generally the language, right? Before even coming to the US. So I chose those two subjects and I said, you know what? I'm going to be the best at these, but everything else I'm just going to, you know, too okay to get by, so to say, right? So I, I started specializing kind of uh, early on, even from, from middle school, right? I would win all the competitions in math and English, be the top, but everything else I was like, you know, let me just get like that that B or B minus, you know, just to get by. And that's pretty much how I graduated from high school. And the same thing kind of I did in college, but in college you have a little more freedom, right? So you can like choose your major, which I did. Initially, I went to electrical engineering, which I ended up realizing I'm not um, really an engineer myself. You know, it's a little too hard for me to really become a good engineer because I have a little bit of a ADHD. So I decided to focus on business major, which then I realized also doesn't really teach you how to actually do business. So I ended up actually dropping out of college. Um, but I, I think I, could, I, I did well in, in, in business itself, right? So um academically i did like selectively well but business wise i just i was so eager to just get started and you know that's why i think like uh i did well early on is because i didn't really take too long with my school right i dropped out of my second year in, in college uh didn't do my masters or even bachelors right so that allowed me to get started earlier than other kids right that still were in school, still were kind of like, you know, out of school, just getting their jobs and everything. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? You, you can take your own time. I was just very anxious and like impatient to get started because I always had that fire to really do business. But because I was in school, it didn't really allow me to go full time on my side hustles or other business ideas that I had. So because of this impatience, I dropped out early on and I just went to business. And this, I think, is what allowed me to you know, be nominated for these like youngest this, youngest that, right? Which I would have accomplished anyways, but I was able to do it earlier because I got out of school early. All right, let me ask you, uh, take you back to when you're deciding that you're going to leave school and become an entrepreneur. I'd imagine parents probably didn't know that was the greatest idea in the world. Uh, you probably had people telling you you should do something, uh, finish school and then go do your business. You probably had all kinds of opinions uh, and maybe even some some developing self-doubt because of those opinions. But you went off and did it, started as an entrepreneur anyways. What was that like? What was it like moving into your own space and just getting started? You were anxious, but doing it is a whole different ballgame. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to really clarify how I did it, right? Because a lot of kids hear like that the, the headline that, oh, the, he dropped out of college and became successful type of thing. And they 
I literally had, I kid you not, like two weeks ago, this kid reached out to me saying, hey, I'm dropping out of college because I got inspired by you and I'm going to go do my, pursue my entrepreneurial journey. I said, hold on, wait, dude, like, what are you doing? Don't do that. And the reason I say that is because here's my actual story, right? Back before I dropped out, I was so anxious that I didn't even want to go to college in the first place. Right. So I told my mom, hey, I'm going to graduate from high school and just go pursue my my entrepreneurial journey. And she was like, no, no, no. Go do college. Try to do something on the side. If that works out, then we can talk about it. And I said, "Okay, all right, let let me do that. I got into college. I did one year. And then during summer, I started out a business. And then I said, hey, I need a little more time. I can't go back to school in September. And I asked my mom if she can, you know, she's okay with me taking a semester off. You know, and she said, all right, one semester off is fine. Try to figure it out. If you don't figure it out during the semester, you go back to school, right? So I pretty much figured it out during that semester, right? I had a profitable business going. It was like after my first year in college. And I still went back to college just because I wanted to try out a new major. And I did it. That didn't work out. And I already had a profitable business. It was uh, at the time it was a sport nutrition distribution business that I had going on. And uh, we were doing like 50 grand a month in revenue, right? Um which was pretty impressive for like a, a business that I started out during my semester off, right? Plus my yeah. summer break. So that was like maybe like eight months of, of work. Um, and that's why I dropped out because I already, I already had a, a, not just a backup plan or just like a hypothetical idea, but a real business that was working. And pretty much school at that time was taking away time from my business, right? So it was like a natural kind of a, a switch that I made. So it wasn't just like taking the leap of faith and just like jumping on something that uh, I initially wanted, like, you know, before even getting into college. Dude, it's uh, it's crazy that you your story is kind of similar to mine. I ended up dropping out of college because same thing. I had a business that I was uh, I was doing successful. I was being successful in. And honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing in college either, dude. I went there because that's what you were supposed to do. Mom was proud, but not necessarily what I wanted to do. I spent most of my time, and I would age you back then, but this is around the time like uh, 8 Mile came out. So I'm walking around with like my headphones on, writing a journal. I think I'm going to be a rapper or something somewhere. Uh, but honestly, I didn't, I didn't exactly know, uh, but I did end up leaving because of the similar situation. Uh, ultimately, that business that I first started went broke, and going broke was probably one of the biggest educational aspects in business where, you know, success is, is cool, but it's also not a very good teacher sometimes, whereas when I went to shut this thing down, I learned all kinds of stuff. Ended up going back to school, getting my degree in accounting, uh, enrolling in tax school, because at that point, I was like, okay, I like this business game, but now I got to figure out how to actually play it by the rules that are kind of in place. What were some of those uh, mistakes or things that you've learned along the way in business that kind of has shaped how you develop this newer business? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I always wanted to be in tech business, right? So the sport nutrition business I had, it was like pretty much paying the bills and giving me the lifestyle I had at the time, right? And it, it gave me a little bit of a confidence too that I had a successful business spend off, right? But I always wanted to go into tech. So, um, it, and, and tech is a completely different beast than like a traditional business with the offline, like, you know, sport nutrition with whatnot, because we weren't selling online. We we're selling like offline wholesale, literally like, you know, shipping things. So it was nothing like tech related, not even e-commerce. Right. So how I got into tech is um, I found a mentor who I really admired and I really liked his work. So I started working for him. Right. Even when I had my own other business going because I wanted to get into tech. 
And then I started working for, for this business in a business development role. And that's how I got in, into this business. And I worked up my way into co-owning this company that I was working at at the time, which I'm at right now um, as a managing partner. So this way is, is, is known as like the sweat equity route, right? So I, I built up my sweat equity in this, in this business through like my accomplishments, you know, helping grow the company. And uh, that's how I got into like this tech business through like basically being an employee, which is a very underrated way of getting into business. So rather than starting your own business, you can join an existing business with the, with the intention and like a preliminary agreement that you can build up sweat equity in this business by helping it, you know, it's, you basically say, hey, if I get to X, I unlock X revenue or uh, X, X, X equity, I mean, right? So th that's how I did it. And I think this is uh, this was a very smart move at the time because I learned so much. I got paid for it. It was a way safer route than um, starting my own business from scratch and trying to fail it, right? So um, this is something that I'm actually pretty proud of. Like I didn't have too many failures in my career because I pretty much chose like safer, smarter routes that still were successful at the end. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into it. What, what happened to that sports nutrition though? Like, uh, well, I mean, I, I, you, you yeah. didn't walk away and like leave it or, or did you end up selling? What yeah. ended up happening? So yeah, I, I still had that business while I was working at this company. And then at one point, you know, it was still working. It was getting some money, but I started making more money in the tech, right? So it kind of like, it already didn't make sense for me to continue that. That business is still active. So I, even though I'm not active in that business myself, what I do is like, I still invest in that and I have my partner in that business he's he's still running that business and what i do is i just invest in it and uh he does all the work and i'm not involved with it you know so but i i, I have my basically my part of the uh uh equity that i still you know have in it where where the, the, the this business brings in some money but it's not nearly as much as what i'm getting right now uh, with my main business no, but it's definitely a nice little passive thing on the side. And that's kind sure. of one of the one of the amazing things about building businesses is sometimes you build them and you don't necessarily have to walk away. And an exit doesn't necessarily have to mean where you don't have any residuals coming in from that thing. When you build it, uh, it, it that's the beauty of tech and SaaS, by the way, is the same type of thing. Once you build it, those residuals start coming in. The revenue starts coming in on a consistent basis. So tell me about the the app building business. Um, what What is it that you feel that you guys do best especially in a time now where ai is starting to kind of come out writing websites creating websites and landing pages and creating apps almost automatically for people how do you feel you guys compete in that space right so i would say if anything ai has been a very uh, helpful tool for us it hasn't nearly even like started scratching the surface of existential threat for us right like i was thinking initially uh, because we're in a service business. We're not an app development business, right? We're in a service-based business, meaning we're in a people's business where we have people on one side and people on the other side. And you know what happens when there's people on the, each side is like there's a lot of human factor, which is what AI is, you know, incapable of doing until it reaches the AGI, which is the artificial general intelligence, which is a, a whole different level. And if we get there, we're all pretty much screwed because like, what we essentially do is we have people with ideas on one end and we have to interpret those human ideas that are imperfect, that are missing things, right? And then we have to document that. And then we have to pass it on to other humans that are the developers that have to code it out, right? So we're very far from that point where, you know, 
AI is able to do that because there was even a meme on LinkedIn where, uh, you know, somebody said like, hey, developers, don't don't worry about your jobs being replaced by AI because clients don't even know what the hell they want themselves, right? So like it would be much <laughs> easier if clients knew exactly what they want and could de describe that to AI, right? Uh, let alone AI having then to build that product, right? Uh, so I would say right now we don't see any existential threat. We're in a very good position. The company is uh, at the highest revenue it's been producing so far, you know, and we're very optimistic about the future growth. Not to neglect AI, of course, we're using AI to expedite our work, to help our work, like things like Copilot that help you write the code along with the developer, right? To Or like low-code tools that help you like write less code because there's AI components or like, uh, you know, computer vision that's helping you like basically um, turn design into code, things like that. Uh, plus we're building our own AI, generative AI, landing page generators, things like that as well within the company. But I would say for the foreseeable future, we're safe and we're actually aided by AI. But will there be a time when AI will replace us? Probably. But if that day comes, we'll all be in a very big trouble because if AI can replace conversational human interaction that can then translate into actions and code or whatnot, whatever else comes out after that, then any job can be replaced. That becomes us living in the matrix, I guess, right? Like all of a sudden, uh, AI is doing everything for us. We're just kind of enjoying life or plugged in at some point. I feel like I was literally having this conversation with my students earlier about like a amazing new technology that's coming out. Things like meta glasses, or I forgot the name of the little link chip that that uh, just was announced this last week as well. Oh yeah, uh, just AI making. Yeah, yeah, that one. That, yeah. that one's super dope. And and all these different things again working in in unison with us. I mean, we're we're on the verge of of being cyborgs ourselves and kind of attached to technology in that way. Maybe AI is just uh, you know, well the AGI version of that is going to be something that's um, I don't know, a partner to us. At least we hope, right? Fingers crossed we don't end up like Terminator style. Uh, let, let me ask you about, I, I didn't really ask you about your target audience. You, you talked a little bit about it, but who are you going after? Is this, uh, is this uh, like the average, uh, Joe that's, that's trying to put an app together or is this more like a commercial based, uh, company that you're after? Yeah. So we are, we have a very wide ICP, the ideal client, uh, profile, right. Which we are narrowing down right now, but you know, it, it's pretty much almost anybody, we do have like a minimum budget, of course, right? Which um, at Jafton, it starts at $25,000 for an app um, and then above. But our average check at Jafton is about $120,000, which would mean that most likely it's like somebody who already has some kind of funding, right? Even if it's friends and family around that they raised, they already have some kind of funding. But it's mainly startups, yes. Not to say that we don't have larger clients. We have clients that are making like over $50 million in revenue a year. Right, those are also companies we service, but uh, mainly it's like smaller companies. Uh, and then there's companies that are very, very small, right? And a guy with an idea. For those, we launched a second brand last year, a smaller agency that basically services those clients that are in that ten to twenty-five thousand dollar budget range. We work with those smaller startups as well, uh, just to be able to service them too. Uh, but mainly our, our clients are somebody who already has some kind of revenue and is past some fundraising point already. 
I tried to build an app uh, many years ago, uh, you just not knowing a thing, right? And and something you said earlier caught my attention because it's absolutely true. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted. I had a good idea of what I wanted, but when it came down to it, um, it became a money pit for me mainly because every time I had an idea, I was like, ooh, we should do this, add it to the scope. Ooh, we should do this, add it to the scope. Never really fine tuning something that was viable, that was definitely usable. Uh, what do you do for your clients, uh, that are struggling with that? They're struggling with trying to really hone in on the usage of this app. Uh, cause oftentimes they got a big general idea, but to make it functional, you got to start somewhere, right? How do you help them get to that point? So yeah, very, very common problem, right? There's multiple routes for that. Um, main common one, if we know that this idea is something we haven't most likely done before, it's something completely brand new that we have to really dig into, which is a pretty common case. We have this service specifically for this called the technical deep dive slash the discovery phase, right? Which basically you pay us a, uh, a deposit and then we assign a team of a tech lead, a project manager, a design lead to really work with you for the period of from anywhere from one week to four weeks to design some of the screens, to really you know write out the scope of work and map out the architecture and the logic of the project, right? So it's like basically running the labs. When you come to the doctor and you're like, hey, I have my uh, a pain in my in my stomach, they're not just gonna diagnose you, right? They go and run the labs, they, they take your vitals and whatnot. We do the same thing, right, for those clients. We document everything. We ask a ton of very detailed questions that a project manager and a product manager asks. And we also have like a business analyst in the team too. And then, um, Client starts realizing like, oh, I haven't thought about this. I haven't thought about that, right? We ask them very specific questions. For example, like if you want to build a marketplace like Airbnb, we ask you a question similar to like, um, okay, so when a user registers, when should they link their bank account to be paid out? Is it when they just sign up and they absolutely have to link their bank account? Or is it when they made their first sale on the platform and to receive that money, they have to link their account after, right? So hmm. you would think it, it's something that's trivial and not important. But if we don't think through that logic, maybe you had imagined a different way or you haven't even thought about how that should be. And you don't even know the, the, the consequences of doing it one way or another, right? So we walk the client through all of these steps very, very detailed during that discovery phase. And it's super helpful because the founder who's not technical finds out so much more about their own product that they didn't know before the questions that they haven't even thought about and the answers and the logic that they haven't even thought about. So this is our process for those, for those founders who don't have a clear scope of work. I'm glad you put the team together and it's like one to four weeks. Cause I'll be 100% honest. I would sit down in some of these sessions and I'd walk out with more questions at the end of the session than I did at the beginning. Cause things like that, exactly. Like, I don't know, do I want the building, the, the car to be on right now? Do I want it to be on after what's the difference? What happens if each one, uh, and, and then sometimes you develop something, you go all the way through, then you take it to market. And then there's more changes that need to be made. Sometimes it's volume of traffic. Sometimes it's processes and procedures. So I'm assuming when you're sitting down with these, uh, with, with, uh, with your teams that not only are you going through how you want it to be laid out, but if changes need to be made, how those changes can actually happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we, we try to think like as many steps ahead as possible, you know, based on, also on our experience. 
but even with that, I'll tell you, like, it's impossible to predict everything. There's still going to be like scope creeps, as we call them, right? Where this is something we haven't thought about, but the client just had an idea for it, right? Because they, they might have not thought about that until they spoke to somebody who's their potential customer, or they just had a dream that it would be so much cooler to do it this way than the other way, right? So there's a lot of scope creeps that still happen, but we try to minimize them in the beginning as much as possible. Yeah, that's the key. That's the key. All right, man. Uh, last question, really. Uh, what? Where do you guys see yourself as a company going in the next couple of years? Like, where are you today? Where do you see yourself as as uh, as now a co-founder? What's the vision of the company look like? Yeah, so we have a very big ambitions, you know, in, in this company. It's probably already we're probably worth like eight figures, but we want to really make this a nine-figure company, where you know we we want to acquire other agencies like us, and do basically an M&A, right? Because this is something I, I've learned about this year earlier and I had no idea about, to me, M&A sounded very expensive, very complicated, but I, I've seen people who've done it and it's not that scary, apparently. Uh, there's a lot to learn. I'm currently taking like courses and I have some mentors that are teaching me the M&A and that's, that's the route we're focusing on, um, M&A and acquiring other competitors to basically merge them with Jafton and build Jafton into a very large company that already has like, you know, a big clientele, a big revenue coming in because at one point when you merge enough companies, your valuation just skyrockets because there's not that many big companies on the market, right? And then we are planning to do a nine-figure exit, not just an exit, you know, that, that just we could have done today, which we get a lot of offers for from, from private equity companies because um, a fun statistic I recently learned is that only 6% of businesses reach $1 million or above in revenue point, right? Or I think it was 4 even, 4%. I think 96% of companies don't reach that. So we already passed that point, which is pretty, you know, we're a sellable company, right? But we have bigger ambitions. We think we can build a larger company and that's that's our goal, right? To, to build a large company, do an exit. And then after that, we'll see. Maybe we'll build a, a product. Maybe we'll build something else. But, uh, you know, the goal is to, to build it into a larger company. Nine figures sounds good to me. All right, if people want to reach out, they want to find out more about building an app themselves, uh, finding out more about what your company has to offer, how can they do that? Uh, you can text me on LinkedIn. My first and last name, Sardor Akhmedov or um, reach out to me on um, yeah, this handle on my Instagram, Ahmed of Co. Uh, and I'll be happy to help out. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, man. Of course. All right, ladies and gentlemen, app development is something that, uh, I don't know, if you're in business, it's kind of cool to have that database of people just at your whim to be able to market to, to service, to do all kinds of cool stuff. It's much different than having a social media following. So if you're interested, make sure you guys reach out. Um, you can go to the website, jafton.com, jafton.com, and get all the information you need. Uh, Sardor, thank you very much for being on the program today. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today. Business bro.